It is our last Sunday before Christmas, and um, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. So, if you notice, we have four Advent candles burning, four brand new Advent candles burning, because they burn down pretty quick. But we have our four Advent candles, so remember the first candle symbolized hope, and it was called the prophet's candle, because of the many centuries that the prophets proclaimed the coming of the Christ, Christ who is our hope, and Advent means the coming, the arrival. We celebrate Advent, and we celebrate the coming or the arrival of Christ, his coming past and his coming future. The second candle represents faith and is called Bethlehem's candle. The prophet Micah foretold that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and he was. The coming king born in the city of David. Bethlehem was not a big, mighty city. It was a small city. Just like the birth of Jesus born Placed in a manger, there was nothing kingly about his birth from really anything, but God did that on purpose. And we're going we're gonna to see the words of Mary later on, and she talks about how God uses small things to bring to nothing great things. The third candle, the one we... we uh, we did light last week was the candle, the shepherd's candle symbolizing joy. Remember, the angels came not to the great and the mighty, the rich and the famous first. The angels came to announce the birth of the Savior to lowly shepherds, to poor shepherds out in their fields. The angels brought the message of joy and peace first to those who were the lowest of society. And today, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we light the candle, the fourth candle, which is the candle symbolizing peace. It's called the angel's candle. Because the angels were the messengers that came to proclaim peace. They proclaimed it by saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace toward men. So our text today is out of Luke chapter 2, verse, verses 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for this good news, these glad tidings, that you have declared peace with men. Peace with men with whom you are pleased. Peace with the men who trust you, 
who have faith in you. Father, I pray today that each one here would trust you, would place their faith in you, and know that you are pleased with them because of their faith in Jesus. I pray, God, that you would help us be a people filled with your peace that would go into this world that needs more than anything today the peace of God, the peace that only God can bring, and that we would be ambassadors of your peace declaring the salvation and the resulting peace that has come with our Savior. We thank you for this good news. We thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Angels are God's messengers. So the word translated angel in both Greek and Hebrew, so the New Testament is written in Greek. The Old Testament in the original language was written in Hebrew, and the word for angel in Hebrew and in Greek is a word that literally means messenger. That's what angels are. They are God's messengers. So both in the Old and the New Testament scriptures, angels are God's messengers who do his bidding. So should we be looking for angels to come and deliver messages for us today? The answer to that question is absolutely not. Now that doesn't mean angels aren't real. They are real. And they still do God's bidding. They still do the work of God. They still serve God. And I'm not saying God can't send an angel, but I'm saying we shouldn't be looking for angels. And there are people who pray to angels, look for angels, um, believe that they communicate with angels. And I personally believe, and I think biblically speaking, that is not what we should be doing. Angels are real. They still do real service to God and for his people, but we should look to Christ, who is much greater than the angels. God speaks to us today, not by angels, but by his Son. This is what Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 says. God, who at various times passed, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. So the word angel can refer to messengers who are supernatural beings or it can refer to messengers who are natural men. For example, in the book of Revelation, the angels of the seven churches are more than likely referring to the pastors or the messengers, the, the men who delivered the message of the gospel to those churches. The word angel can refer to men as messengers, but men are not the same as the heavenly beings we call angels. Contrary to popular belief, when people die, they do not go to heaven and become angels. Angels are a separate order of being created to worship and to serve God. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. The writer of Hebrews pins these words, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, that's referring to Jesus, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Angels worship Jesus. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. The word minister is simply a word that means servant. So his angels are ministers, they're spirits and servants 
that are a flame of fire. Remember in Genesis when man fell and he was kicked out of the garden, God placed two cherubim, two angelic beings with flaming swords to guard the way to the tree of life. So angels are associated with fire and light and glory. And when, when you ask why are they scary, this is why they're scary. They're good, like God, but they're scary. God is good, but we would be lying if we didn't say God was not scary. Because everyone that's ever seen God or seen the manifestation of God in whatever form has, has become fearful, has fallen down as dead. Not because God is bad. God is absolutely good. But he is God. He is infinitely different than we are. Angels also are a separate order of being created to worship God. Messengers who serve him and who serve the, and minister for men who will inherit salvation. Those who will inherit salvation are those who place their trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Here in Luke's account, the angels that appeared to the shepherds were heavenly beings sent to announce the birth of Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. They were bringing God's message of peace to the heirs of salvation. And when the angels showed up, there was glory and fear. Listen to eight, verses 8 and 9. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by mind. They're just out minding their own business, watching their sheep, when all of a sudden, behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. As I think anyone in their right mind would be. And when the heavenly breaks into the earthly, glory and fear are often two sudden reactions, two sudden experiences. Since angels are God's messengers, they are typically sent with a message for someone. The recipients of that message usually experience glory and fear at the unveiled appearing of angels coming from the heavenly realm. Now, Hebrews goes on later on in the book and says... It talks about um, entertaining angels unaware. Angels don't always show up in flaming glory. They can show up veiled, looking like a regular person. That's why Hebrews warns that we need to be careful. We need to show love and hospitality and kindness and compassion to those around us because we never know when we might entertain angels unaware. So you see this in the Old Testament very often. Sometimes the angels would come and the servants of God would fall down on their face in fear because of the glory of the angel. Other times they would appear with that glory veiled. But when the heavenly breaks into the earthly unveiled at the appearing of unveiled angels coming from the heavenly realm, there is a reaction of glory and fear. This was the case with the shepherds when the angel appeared and gave them the news of the newborn Savior. This was also the case with Zacharias when the angel appeared to tell him that their coming son would be named John. 
This was the cousin of Mary, Elizabeth, who was barren. And the angel appears to Zacharias while he's ministering in the temple. And he's greatly troubled. Mary reacted to the angel Gabriel in similar fashion. The scripture indicates she was deeply troubled at the appearing of the angel and his message that she would conceive in her womb the Son of God. And her question was a natural question. How will this be since I've never known a man? Now you might wonder if you know this story. Zacharias asked the question of the angel. And the angel said, because you didn't believe me, I'm going to make you mute. You're not going to be able to speak until after the birth of your son. And, and Zacharias comes out from the Holy of Holies and he's using sign language. And they realize something, something has happened. And he writes him a note, and he doesn't speak again until John is born. And everyone's saying, what's the name of the child going to be? And the wife says, his name's going to be John. They said, why would you name him John? You don't have any relatives named John. And at that moment, Zachariah's tongue is loosed. When Mary asks the question... She asks a legitimate question because she was a virgin. How would she conceive a child never having been with a man? That was not not a question of unbelief like Zacharias was. That was a legitimate question because Mary could not understand how this could be. She was betrothed to Joseph. And the angel tells her, God will do this, for with God, nothing is impossible. But when Zacharias and when Mary, when they both encountered the angel, there was the reaction of glory and fear. The heavenly cannot break into the earthly in unveiled fashion without glory and fear accompanying it. When the heavenly breaks through into the earthly, there is a breakthrough of God's glory that far excels the glory commonly seen and experienced in this world still under the curse. It's not that glory's not around us. Glory is all around us. Glory in greater measure than we could ever realize. Glory that we take for granted every day. We see the sun, we see the moon, we feel the wind, we see the rain, we, we reap the benefits of the rain, we feel the warm sunshine on our skin, we feel the cool breeze, we eat our food, we're going to feast for Christmas. There's glory, we put lights on our tree because it's glorious, we decorate our homes because it's glorious, we wrap our presents in wrapping paper and put bows and make them glorious. We glorify things all the time without even thinking. There is glory all around us. But this glory, even the glory of God we see all around us, is veiled. It's marred by the curse. The fullness of God's glory is not yet seen in this yet darkened, cursed earth, but it's coming. It's breaking through more and more and more. And one day, it will break through to such a point that the curse will be no more. Darkness will be no more. And we will live in pure, unadulterated, unhindered, unlimited glory in the presence of the glorious one.
we can't imagine what that will be like. We can't. But just because we can't imagine what that will be like does not mean we should not look for and appreciate and thank God every day for the glory all around us. As darkness flees light, fear is the common reaction to the light of God's glory experienced by those in this dark world. The angels consistently console those encountering them in the fearfully intense glory of the heavenly realm with the words, do not be afraid. God's messengers produced fear at their appearing, but brought a message of peace to those hearing the news of the Savior's birth. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Comfort and joy. The old hymn, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Talks about comfort and joy being proclaimed to men. The immediate reaction of the shepherds was fear and amazement. The immediate message of the angel was, do not be afraid. The angel was bringing them comfort and joy. He brought good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. The good news was the birth of the Savior that very day. Remember, we, we lit the candle of hope. It was the very first candle we, we lit on the first Sunday of Advent, and it spoke of all the prophets and all the prophecies throughout all the centuries that proclaimed the coming of the Christ. Going all the way back to the garden when God pronounced judgment upon the serpent, and he said, there is a seed coming, the seed of the woman, and he will crush your head. And now, the angels come, they appear to the shepherds, and they pronounce the birth of of the Savior, the birth of the prophesied seed that would come, and he did come, and he came to crush the head of the serpent, and that is exactly what happened. He brought good tidings of great joy to all people. The birth of the Savior that day, the Savior, the one who God's people had waited so long to see. The angels proclaim the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is what the angel says. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The title Savior describes what he will do for his people. He will save them from their sins. This is why his name was to be called Jesus the title Christ means this one is the special one anointed by God. That's what Christ means, the anointed one. The Savior who is Christ, the Lord, the title Lord is describing his position in relation to all things of creation. He is Lord over all of creation, both in heaven and 
on earth. This is why the angels worship him because the angels were created by the very one they worship. This is why we don't look to angels, depend on angels, because we are told to look to one much greater than the angels. In fact, look to the one who created the angels. Look to the one whom the angels worship. He is the one God speaks to us through now. And we have his word, his holy inspired word, which means we can break open his word and receive a word from God anytime we want. This is indeed good news for all people, including us today. We must not forget who Jesus is. He is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is still saving. He is still the anointed one of God. And he is still Lord over all things and over all of creation. Do not be afraid. The Savior who is Christ the Lord is come and he has conquered all of his enemies. He is our comfort and joy now and forever. That is good news. Not just to shepherds who are keeping their flocks, but to us today in the 21st century. Some 2,000 years after his birth. And it will continue to be good news throughout all eternity. Glory and peace. So it says in verse 13, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. From one angel to the appearing of a multitude of angels... This is what the shepherds experienced. And the one angel appeared and the shepherds feared. And the angel consoles them and encourages them with the words, Do not fear, as he brings them the good tidings of great joy that the Savior was born that very day. Glory and fear turn into glory and peace. This is the good news of the gospel. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. What an unimaginable sight. We see it portrayed in Christmas pageants. We, we see images of it. We hear songs about it. But I don't believe there's anything we can see or hear that can accurately describe or give to us an image that could accurately portray what actually happened that night as the heavenly host appears in the sky to announce the birth of the Savior. To say it was glorious is an understatement. But it was glorious. Suddenly, the multitude of the heavenly hosts in all of their glory, praising God and declaring peace toward men on earth, the heavenly messengers were bringing a glorious message of peace. The angel choir of heavenly hosts were proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Glory is being revealed and peace is being proclaimed. This was and is good news for all men throughout all times. In verse 14... 
I just read it to you from the New King James, but I want to read you what the English Standard Version, the way it, it pins these words, the way it translates this, which is actually a more accurate message that, of what the angels gave to the shepherds. Out of the ESV, verse 14 in Luke 2 says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The phrase peace among those with whom he is pleased tells us with who God is making peace. Now think about the Christmas story. When Herod heard the story, he did not have peace. When Herod heard that a king had been born, Herod felt anything but peace in his spirit. And I want you to understand, this is also true for the gospel. The gospel that brings peace and life and salvation can also bring disturbing news to those who reject it. The same gospel that saves one will judge another. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he with whom God is pleased. God makes peace with those he is pleased with. God is pleased with those who place faith in him. If you wonder who is God pleased with, the answer is those who trust him. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 11.1 gives us the definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 2 says, for by it, for by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Down in verse 6, it says this, Hebrews eleven six. but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God is pleased with those who trust him. Those who believe that he is. This is not just mental assent. This is not just you believing something up here. This is you believing something from here, from your heart. Faith is not something you have here. Faith is something you have here. You can never have faith here until you have it here. And whatever you have here, if it's not here, this is not faith. Because faith doesn't come from here. Faith comes from here. That's why Romans is not a formula for salvation. For with the heart one believes to righteousness. With the mouth confession is made to salvation. That's not a formula. That's a fact. From the heart one believes. And if your confession is just from your mind and not from your heart, then you don't truly believe. Well, how will I know if I truly believe? Because your life will reveal it. In time, it will reveal it. It must reveal it if faith is truly planted in your heart by God. So God is pleased with those who trust in him, those who believe that he is from hearts of faith. The implication is that those who believe will seek him he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Those who trust in him are those who will seek him. 
The promise is that any who call upon his name, any who trust in Christ will be saved. Peace with God is given to those who trust in him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. More than just having a peaceful, easy feeling. This is very often what we think peace is. You know, I've got what the eagles call that peaceful, easy feeling. He himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Peace is not just an emotion I feel, not just a feeling. I'm not saying it can't be, and it's not. I'm saying it's more than that. Christ himself is our peace. Peace is not just a feeling I have or an emotion I experience. It's not just a lack of fear, but peace is the presence of Jesus, the person of Jesus in my life. And even in the most disturbing of situations, I can have peace. This is why Jesus let his disciples get out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and then he allowed an intense storm to arise while he's sleeping in the back of the boat. He wanted them to understand your peace has nothing to do with how high the waves are. Your peace has everything to do with who is present. And if Christ is present in our heart, we can go through the most intense, raging storm and still have peace. Christ is our peace. That means peace is not just how I feel, but it is the abiding presence of Christ in me. Christ is the glory and the peace that we possess. But more importantly is this. Christ is the peace that possesses us. See, the disciples weren't just in a boat. They were in Christ. And if we just see ourselves in a nice, big, sturdy boat that can handle big waves, and we put our trust in a boat, God will for sure let a wave come big enough that will capsize our boat. And what will save us is not a boat. What will save us is Christ. Noah was saved by getting in the ark, but you understand the ark was just a picture of Christ. The reason Noah was saved during the flood was because he was in Christ. He was sheltered in Christ. That ark pictured Christ. And Christ is the boat. Christ is the ark. Christ is the salvation we must find ourselves in in order to truly Know his peace and be saved. It is, it is peace that Jesus gives to us. It is Jesus who is our peace that possesses us. And it pleased the Father to make peace with us through the blood of his Son. Here in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The hope of glory and peace are given to us in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.27, Paul goes on and he writes, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us is our hope of glory and is our peace. 
Like love, peace with God is to be manifest in peace with one another. Peace is a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. If we have the Spirit, we have peace. If we have His peace, we are at peace with God and we are to be at peace with one another. Peace with God and peace with man. James 3.18, James writes this, Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When you make peace, you sow peace. And that is the fruit of righteousness. Or as Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, Romans 12.18, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We have no control over others. Paul says you can't control what other people do. But as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. He is our peace. And if he is our peace, then we are to live peaceably with one another. If it is possible, as much depends on us. The peace God gives to us in Christ is a peace that surpasses all understanding. We may think we can grasp it. We may think we understand it. But we cannot, for his peace is a peace that the Bible calls a surpassing peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is why we are to always be rejoicing and anxious for nothing. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, what guards our hearts and minds is not our ability to manage our circumstances, what guards our heart and our mind is Christ Jesus. It's knowing Christ. It's not knowing that I can manage my circumstances, that I can manage life, that I can manage my crisis. That doesn't give us peace because we'll not be able to manage. We'll come against a circumstance, a crisis, something that we cannot manage, and then we will find ourselves without any peace. But if Christ is our peace, it doesn't matter what circumstance. It doesn't matter what crisis. Christ is greater than any circumstance, greater than any crisis. This is why Christ himself is our peace. Truly, that is good news of great joy to all people, especially to those with whom Christ is pleased. And if your faith is in Christ, know that God is pleased with you. And know that he, he alone is your peace. Before the birth of Christ, after the angels had appeared to Zacharias, announcing the coming of John, and to Mary, announcing that she would conceive in her womb the Son of God, Mary, immediately, the Bible tells us, goes to her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, so Elizabeth, who was barren, is carrying in her womb John. And Mary comes to the house of Elizabeth. And when she comes through the door, she greets Elizabeth. And upon the greeting of, Elizabeth, of Mary, when she enters the house, 
the heavenly breaks into the earthly, bringing great glory and peace. Listen to the inspired words of Mary. Mary penned a psalm based on this experience inspired by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. By the way, Elizabeth says, The moment you greeted the child in my womb leapt with joy. And the Bible says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So here John the Baptist received the Holy Spirit in the womb of Elizabeth when she heard, when he heard the greeting of Mary who was carrying the Savior. Don't tell me God can't work in unborn children. Don't tell me unborn children don't hear the word of God. Don't recognize and know the word of God. The unborn child in Elizabeth's womb recognized the unborn child in Mary's womb. And both Elizabeth and the child were filled with the Holy Spirit because of the presence of the Holy residing in Mary's womb. Upon the greeting of Mary to Elizabeth... Don't ever underestimate what God can do in a born or an unborn child. This is why we hold life, the sanctity of life, so sacred. This is why murdering unborn children is, is so tragic. Because they're not disposable. They're not unimportant. They're blessings. They're gifts from God. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Those were the words of Mary, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as she entered Elizabeth's house, and the heavenly broke into the earthly. And that word of God through Mary was true on that day, and it is true on this day. God's mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. How many generations after that day that John the Baptist slept in the womb of his mother upon realizing that Jesus had entered the room? How many generations are we past that? Well, the mercy of God extends from that generation to this generation, and it will continue to extend from generation to generation to those who fear him. God's mercy 
is on those who fear him from generation to generation. And we must be a generation that fears him still. For he is still showing the strength of his arm. He is still scattering the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He is still putting down the mighty from their thrones. He is still exalting the lowly. He is still filling the hungry with good things. He is still sending the rich away empty. He is still helping Israel, his church, in remembrance of his mercy. He is still speaking to us today. And if we are in Christ, and if we will have ears to hear and eyes to see, to know that we are the children of Abraham and heirs according to his promise. The promise is ours because Christ is ours and we are Christ's. Thus the angels declared the good news of peace, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God has proclaimed peace and peace we come to his table each week giving thanks to him and proclaiming the one, the very one, the only one who is our peace. Amen. So church, you are welcome to this table as you trust in Jesus. You are welcome to this table as God's covenant people whom he has declared his peace to. And whom he declares his peace through and what a privilege that is that God gives to us that God is not sending angels from heaven he's sending earthly angels earthly messengers to now proclaim glory to God in the highest and peace on earth toward those with whom he is pleased And if someone ever asks you, how will I know if God is pleased with me? Then you just tell them, trust in Jesus and you will know God is pleased. So church, welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. Let's stand. Jesus, before his death, proclaimed his peace to his disciples. It's recorded for us in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So before Jesus went to the cross, before his death, Jesus charged his disciples with those words. Now after his resurrection and ascension to glory, how much more should we heed these words from the Prince of Peace? Let us not be troubled because of the world and the news of the world that disrupts our peace. Jesus is still the Savior, He is still the Christ, and He is still Lord over all things. Peace, peace be still and know that He is God, and that He rules and reigns over all. He is eternally victorious. Let us be faithful to advance his kingdom of glory and peace against the darkness of this world. This is what Jesus has charged us to do. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom 
he is pleased. Amen? Amen. Let's sing our thanks to God. Merry Christmas to you all. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. One last thing before you leave. We had a very late prayer request come in during the service. Our neighbor, Tim, uh, his daughter has gone into emergency C-section because of preeclampsia. And so they're on their way to the hospital. And he asked that we keep her and the baby and the family in prayer. So, Father, we lift up Jessica and this baby to you. Lord, even today as we looked at, Lord, John the Baptist and Jesus in their mother's wombs, Lord, leaping for joy and proclaiming the gospel and Lord, the glory of heaven being manifest there, even through those unborn children. Father, we thank you for this unborn child. We thank you, Lord, that by now this child is here. We pray, God, it is safe and healthy, and we pray that for the mother. We thank you for life, and we ask your blessing on this family. In Jesus' name, amen.